Welcome to the Back Nine Report, presented by eDraft.com. I'm going to break, Carlos, I'm going to break in. You still got the problem. So I'm going to go ahead and do the opening here. So I don't know if there's something, you can get a different microphone or, or something. But uh, hello and welcome to the Back Nine Report for November 22nd. Usually, Carlos Torres, my co-host, does the opening. But as you can hear, he's having a little bit of problem with his microphone tonight, with his headset. So until he gets that straightened out, uh, I'm going to do the opening and, and uh, kind of move into the show. And we'll start talking. Hopefully, we'll have him back uh, momentarily. Carlos, as you know, it's Thanksgiving week, but it's also the week the Buckeyes and that team up north prepare for their annual tussle. It has major consequences this year. The Big Ten Championship and college football playoff appearances are on the line. It's going to be a big day around here on Saturday, I'm going to tell you right now. Golf is going to take second fiddle on Saturday afternoon. The major golf tours have all wrapped up their seasons after last week, and and most of the professionals have put their clubs in the garage for the holiday season, but we do have some golf happenings around the world that we want to talk about tonight. And we are one week closer to Tiger Woods coming out of hibernation. That should be something next week in uh, down in the Bahamas. Youngster Matt Fitzpatrick won in Dubai, but Henrik Stenson put a fitting exclamation point on his most excellent year by winning the race to Dubai. Charlie Hall made her first win in the U.S. Big Win. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Aria collected the big check. And George Spieth managed to win the Australian Open for the second time in his career. Do you remember what happened after he won the Aussie Open the last time? So, Carlos, we've got a lot of golf to talk about tonight. I've got more stuff to talk about than I think I've ever had at any show. So let's just get right to it. We're going to move right into the backspin where we, re- we do a short recap on last weekend's golf tournaments and give you kind of our take on, on what happened last weekend. And I'm going to take the first, the first tournament here, the race to the CME Globe and the CME Group Tour Championship did not fail to impress on Sunday. I have to admit, watching the women from the comfort of my recliner I was actually nervous. I, I was up on the edge of the chair. It was uh, unbelievable. Everything was tight right down to the end. So young Rue was even with Charlie Hall through 16 holes. Charlie's trying to come back in there. I am back. I am back. Yes, we can hear you now. So let me go ahead and finish off with. Let me go sure. ahead and finish off here with the LPGA, and uh, and then you can pick right back up after that. Is all right? No problem. That's it. We got it. Okay. Yeah, you're good right now. But everything was tight right down to the end. So Young Rue was even with Charlie Hall through 16 holes. Aria Jutanagar gained separation from Lydia Ko over the final few holes in the race for the million-dollar race to the CME Globe, but their season-long battle for the top of the women's game was tight through 14 holes. Then you had, in addition to those two things going on, you had N.G. Chun rolling in three consecutive birdies, at the end of her round on Sunday, to steal 
the Vera Trophy away from Lenny Pell. With just one hole remaining, Coe led NG by one one-thousandth of a point over the course of the whole year. Chun made her birdie, Coe didn't, and Coe came away the big loser on Sunday. Seldom have we seen or heard that over the last place. Do you know, Carlos, I was thinking about it today, that Coe led the tournament after her <laughs> low score on Friday. She looked good, but then she didn't play that well over the weekend. So she was in the running to win the tournament. She, at that time, on Saturday, she was ahead of Aria Jutanagarn in the race with CME Globe for the, to win a million dollars for the third year in a row. And she had the lead on Inji Chun right up to the very last hole for the Bear Trophy. And she came away with none of it. That's uh, just amazing to me. 20-year-old Charlie Hall from England, who we've had on the show, took the 54-hole lead to the final round, the third round, 66. Co and Aria were T7, tied for seven, five shots back. Lydia held, held, as I mentioned, the second-round lead with that wonderful 62 on Friday, and I texted you and said, okay, it's over. She's going to take charge, just like I knew she would on the weekend. But guess what? She stumbled to a 73 on Saturday. Lack of consistency. That was the story of her the last couple of months. Striving for that extra distance off the tee has made her less consistent. When So Young Ru made a bogey at the 17th and Charlie Hall tapped in for birdie, the two-shot swing gave Hall her first victory on the LPGA Tour, and it was a big one. Did you see the lie in the bunker that So Young Ru had after her second shot at the par 5 17th? Uh, it hit it hit right on the top of the lip of the bunker coming in and rolled down that steep face and landed just a couple inches from the edge of the bunker. She had no shot of going towards the pin. Just She had to chip away to the very front of the green. She was actually on the fringe. She actually made a fantastic shot out sideways but failed to get up and down for a par. Tough break, but as you will hear in this short interview, that Mike May got for us uh, after her round, she was happy with her performance all year and especially this week. So could you play the So Young Roo uh, short uh, interview, Colin? One quick question. I know that there's so much attention to that shot at 17, but uh, talk about some of the great shots you had throughout the rest of the round that you can oh, uh, focus on. Actually, so many. Um, my second hole, second shot was really great as well. But, you know, I have to pick maybe 16th tee shot because that shot's the one uh, I was able to make them, you know, co-leader with the Charlie. So, yeah, let's say 16th tee shot. In light of how you feel now, do you wish the, the 2017 season would begin next week and not, you know, yeah, a couple well, months down the road? You know what, since I started to play golf as professional golfer, I never really uh, feel like, oh, I wish I can play more at the last tournament. Maybe this is the first time I felt like I wish I can play more tournaments. So um, I think it's a really great thing. You know, I always feel like end of the season, I always feel like, oh, maybe I'm ready. I'm not ready. You know, I'm ready to be rest. But uh, finally, I feel like, you know, I'm completely ready for, you know, just win the tournament. So, um, well, it's, even though if I... I couldn't win. It's still a great closing. Then um, I hope I can have this uh, shot fill until next year as well. One quick question about 17. Uh, were you as cool on the inside as you looked on the outside from TV because you walked in that bunker? And, and actually, Judy Rankin made a comment that you hit about as good a shot as you could possibly hit. I watched that shot. It just curved the right side of the bunker, and it was it was wonderful. I mean, you couldn't have placed it any better. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't really hit mid shot. You know, that's the shot I wanted to hit, then I did it.
Yeah, Mike did a great job. He caught, uh, was able to catch So Young Ru right off the, uh, right after her round and asked her a couple of questions. Um, Mike, uh, as you know, is a uh, contributor to our NWO Golf Links magazine, does a great job. And he lived down there in Florida and went over to the tournament for the day. So thank you, Mike, so much for that. And he also got uh, a short interview with Lydia Coe that we're going to hear just a little bit later in the show. As you know, only the top 72 women on the LGBTQ Tour are invited to the end-of-the-year CNA Group Tour Championship, and the $500,000 first-place check is one of the biggest in the women's game. With that in her bank account, Hall becomes the 15th LPGA Tour player to earn over $1 million in 2016. There's something we've never been able to say before. That is the Michael Lawn effect for the LPGA Tour. Not only has he brought more events, He's increased purses and added bigger events, which create more interest. Daniel Kang was number 36 on the LBGA Tour money list at the end of the year, and she earned just over $500,000. That's, that's pretty good stuff. As I mentioned earlier, Lydia Coe seemed to be in control of the race to the CMA Globe for the third consecutive year after that second round 62, but like her play the last half of the season, just inconsistency slips in. She shot 73-72 on the weekend and came away with a tie for 10. Maria Jutanagar had the slimmest of leads over Coe for the money title and in the race at Simi Globe on Thursday, but she faltered with an opening round 72. She righted the ship, got a little bit better every day, and posted scores of 68-65-69 to finish tied for fourth with Mo Martin and Beatrice Ricari for the tournament, but good enough to win the million-dollar bonus as the race is CME Globe champion. It's the first time in three years someone other than Liddy Coe won it, and she finished runner-up. So after a round, again, Mike May was able to catch up with Lydia. So, Carlos, could you play the short interview we have with Lydia Coe? How, how realistic were your, your thoughts coming in about maybe three-peating at this, this the tour championship? I mean, I knew that I needed to go really low today, uh, you know, especially being a couple shots behind and, you know, all the girls playing great. And it wasn't just about me, uh, you know, at the end of the day. So I tried to, you know, be aggressive and try to make as many birdies as I can. Um, you know, obviously not a great front nine, but, you know, I tried to fight back in the back nine, so, you know, I'm proud of the way I did What changed your mindset at 10 following the double bogey at nine? Uh, maybe the bowl change. I decided to go in and I uh, didn't decide to go in the front nine. Um, but I just knew that I needed to give as you know many birdie opportunities as I can, and then you know that's all I can do. So you know, I did that, and uh, you know three good birdies to kind of put myself into position again. Good luck, Nancy. Thank you. Thank you. Again, we want to thank uh, our good friend Mike May for getting that for us, uh, and you can read his column every month in uh, back in uh, NWO Golf Links. So. In summary, Carlos, to wrap this up, I've taken a lot of time talking about the LPGA in the last tournament of the year. 24 of the 35 events on the 2016 LPGA Tour season schedule were won by women under the age of 23, with Maria Jutanagar and Lita Cobra, Henderson, and N.G. Dunn leading the youth movement. The only knock right now is the number of LPGA Tour events outside of the continental U.S. and the lack of American women contending for titles. That's a temporary problem and one that will soon be rectified, I'm sure. I'm going to talk about that more later in the show, so I'm not going to say any more about that right now. And, Carlos, it was a wonderful LPGA Tour season 2016, maybe the best ever. 
I cannot I to, wait for 2017. I have to agree. I cannot wait because if this was as great as it was, and with having Aria and Lydia and Brooke and Ingishan and so many others that are already knocking at the door as well, I mean, this what what are we in for next year? I can't wait to see it. I mean, uh, wow, the LPGA a great tour. And uh, Lydia Co. I mean, to me, she's she could be she's the best all around player in the in the women's game. Uh, but I still insist, and that's why I, I I told you that I didn't like her going in to win it because she's been so inconsistent ever since she's been trying to get that more distance. I think that, and I'm sorry that I have to say it again, but David Ledbetter is not doing the job that he has to do with her. I mean, Lydia, you don't need, I mean, how many other good players you can count them and lose, lose count of it? How many other top players have tried to add distance and have just altered their game and go lower and lower and lower each time? I mean, it, you don't need it. She didn't need it. It doesn't matter that the others are hitting it a mile farther than her. She was dominating them. She was dominating them. So, to me, and, and like I, I told you, I mean, to me, Adia, it was her year. Uh, I didn't buy into the thing that she got nervous and all that. I, I, what I have seen is that she has been battling some injuries, and there are some, some courses that she just doesn't have the game for it. She's not an all-around player, and uh, she's still not. I, I, I tend to compare her a lot to Dustin Johnson. She has all the same power, a lot of the tools, but she's just a little rougher on the edges. And once she gets it done, she'll be one heck of a play more than what she is already in. But an interesting stat on Aria before you leave her, she ranked 18th in driving distance off the tee with about 270 yards, but that's with her two iron, Carlos. Mm-hmm. If she no, ever figures is- out if she ever figures out how to hit her driver, she may be unbeatable. I mean, because she's going to pick up another 40 yards. I mean, she's going to be driving at 310. Uh, and when she, she can figure out how to hit that thing out there and keep it in the fairway. You know, and, and I've, watched, I've watched Charlie Hall a lot, and I've been uh, uh, marking off, and I watched Brooke Henderson. I've gone out to the holes where they measure the drives, and they, and they get it out there about 275-ish, okay, um, and they're considered really long. Um, Lydia, you know, she hits at about 245-ish, something like that, when she really, when she really connects. But, but when Aria is so strong, if she learns how to hit that driver, I mean, nobody may touch her. Right? You know, she may just run away and hide. She would. She would. And, and like, there was one of the holes. I really don't remember which one. There was a par five. It was just under 500 yards, and most of the players were there reaching it in two. Of course, driver and an iron, she reached it in two easily with two iron shots. Yeah, I think she hit eight iron. iron. She, she hit the two iron, eight yeah. iron, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. So, it was incredible. It was incredible. But no, to me, it, it was her year. It, it, she was due to it, and she just needs some rest to, to rest that, that, that knee, and uh, she'll be fine next year. Like you said, I, I can't wait to see 
but it's going to be the encore for the for the LPGA. Hey, Fred. Now it's time to see the to talk about the other series finale, and that was on the European Tour, where up with the Open champion Henrik Stenson, he sealed the race to Dubai title as Englishman Matthew Fitzpatrick. He won the DP World Tour Championship in Dubai by a single stroke. World number four, Henrik Stenson. He was 12 under and shared ninth place, regaining the European Tour crown he won back in 2013. Fitzpatrick was one of my favorite young players that I've been very high on it. He's just 22 years old. He was one behind overnight, birdie the last for 67 to finish 17 under and win his third tournament. Pedro Hatton bogey in the last for 68 and was second, with overnight leader Victor Dubuisson for a drift. Well, number two, Rory McIlroy, who needed to win the tournament and stands until the outside of the top 45 to have any chance of winning the race to Dubai for a third successive year, had seven birdies and an eagle in a closing 65 and also shared ninth place. Sweden's Alex Noren, who was maybe the most informed player coming in, with six strokes behind the overnight leader, he would have claimed the $1.25 million bonus prize for winning the European Tour Money List prize had he won the tournament, but he could only post a 31 and finish eight under. And you would have to excuse me. <coughs> I'm going to call a little bit. Uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick and his proud parents celebrated there his Dubai triumph, and I'm going to have a little bit about that a little bit later. But let's talk a little bit about Masters champion Danny Willard, who needed at least a top-four finish to have any chance, but he dropped to a joint 51st place after a third-round 76, and he finished with a 70 to tie for 50th, 16 strokes off the pace, and Danny Willard really is like going backwards from what he was at the Masters, definitely not the year that he was waiting for. Fellow Englishman Haddon, who secured his first European Tour victory at the Alfred Dunhill Links Championship at St. Andrews last month looked to set for another when he holds a bunker shot for a par at the 17th to retain a one-shot lead. But his final drive found a stream mindering through the 18th fairway, and he took a six. Fitzpatrick, however, who made his Ryder Cup uh, debut this year, played a masterful shot from a gear inside bunker at the last and then hold a breaking putt from four feet for victory. The Sheffield golfer is now expected to move in the top 30, and he said, and I quote, it happened so fast, it's difficult to take in some of the time, but this week has been a special one, end of quote. A winner of the 2015 British Masters and Nordia Masters in June, he added, I just did everything really well and put it out of my shoes. It was fantastic all week, and I think that's where I gained on the field, end of quote. You know, Stanson, who's 40 years old and who won his maiden victory, a major with a victory at Rio Tune and then added an Olympic silver medal in Rio, he said, and I quote, I've had the best year of my career. You know, he likes to write goals down at the start of, uh, of the year. And when they ask him, hey, Henrik, what your goals might be for next year? He said, well, I can just cut and paste this year with his uh, sense of humor that he always has. You know, one, the, one final note, Fred, on, on Fitzpatrick, like I said before, his parents were there on hand to celebrate with him. They got all the photos with the trophy. And then uh, after that, 
he suggested that after his one stroke win over title had him that it might finally edge him slightly closer to moving out from living with his mom and dad. He said that his parents who were there and had to celebrate with him at the Air Force had been getting property advice from Rory McIlroy this year. Wow, they're looking to kick him out. But that he's in no rush. I'm not rushing. I'm just looking for properties. We'll see what happens. But he said, and I quote, and I'll leave you with this, my mom certainly doesn't want me to live here alone. My dad maybe, but my mom certainly doesn't, (laughs) end of quote. So, you know, he's staying home as long as mom says, you're staying, he's there. So, dad, sorry about it. You can ask Rory for properties and all that. He's staying home. Henrik is 40 years old, Carlos. He's 40. <laughs> Can you believe that? Hey, Carlos, got a question for you. Luke Donald yes. won the race to the bye in 2011, back when he was number one in the world. Mm-hmm. Since, since then, name the past champions of the race to the bye. Pretty easy to do. You, you got this. Uh, Henrik Stinson and Hilary Michael. You got it. Rory won it three times, 2012, 2014, and 15, and Henrik won it in 2013, and again this year, 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty good year for Henrik. Um, Just uh, the Open Championship, uh, the great uh, battle with Phil Mickelson. um, Just, you know, really, really a good year. Hey, Carlos, uh, moving along. Not that anybody noticed, but the final event of the 2016-2017 wraparound fall schedule, the RSM Classic from Seattle and Georgia, had to finish on Monday morning when a, when a five-man playoff ran out of daylight on Sunday night. Camillo Villegas and Billy Horschel began the final round of the RSM Classic in second place behind rookie Mackenzie Hughes. No rookie's going to win, right? They both carded matching 68s and finished the day tied with Henrik Norlanders, who had a 65, Blaine Barber had a 66, and that rookie 54-hole leader, Mackenzie Hughes from Canada. He had led the, week, the event for most of the week after he fired a 61 on Thursday. He was able to handle the pressure of leading a PGA Tour event for the first time and posted a final round 69. Horschel was the first to flinch in the playoff. He was eliminated on the first extra hole when he missed a short, a short tap in. While the other four competitors all managed par, they moved on. On the second trip down, number 18, all four players made par once again. By those, then the sun had set. Play had to be halted until the next morning. At 8 a.m. on Monday morning, the air was crisp with a fall chill as the temperatures dipped into the high 30s on St. Simons Island. All four players missed the green, hitting four irons and five irons into the par 317th. Hughes' tee shot had rolled through the green and down an embankment, leaving a very difficult chip shot. His second shot came up just short and stayed on the fringe, so maybe a foot or foot and a half off the green. After Barber, Vijegas, and Norlander hit their second shots, Hughes was the first to putt. He rolled in that downhill 17-foot par putt and watched as the other three players could not make their pars from much shorter distances. 
Hughes, a rookie from Canada, freshly off the web got This is quite a story here, Carl. I mean, this kid truly has come from nowhere. He's freshly off the web.com tour. Um, in his career thus far, okay, he earned 91000 on the Mackenzie tour, which is the old Canadian tour. He earned 180000 on the web.com, and that was all right at the end of the season. And, and 240000 PGA Tour before this win. But he picks up a tidy $1.08 million on Sunday to kind of make his Christmas fund uh, a little bigger, and that should keep him in the box for the next few years to come. Hughes actually turns 26 years old tomorrow. Pretty nice birthday present <coughs> for the Canadian, eh? Hughes was a two-time Canadian amateur champ in 2011 and again in 2012. He won the McKenzie Tour uh, of Canada Order of Merit in 2013, but only earned $12,000 on the Web.com Tour, bounced back down to the McKenzie Tour, then back to the Web.com Tour this season. And he was sitting 140th. He was 140th on the Web.com Tour's money list until finishing fifth at the LECOM Health Challenge in July. Then... He won the third to last event of the regular season, the Price Gunner Charity Championship, to clinch his tour card. And voila, he's a PGA Tour winner, headed to Augusta National for the Masters. Just hit the lottery. Carlos, <laughs> we have been keeping a close eye on TV ratings for golf. The ratings for the RSM Classic this week were abysmal. Not only the NFL, but the LPGA and NASCAR. Both out through the PGA Tour and the Australian Open was not very far behind. Maybe there was just too much golf this week with the European Tour, the race to the CME Globe, and the LPGA, the Australian Open because Jordan Stevens. But eyeballs probably get spl- got split a lot of different ways, and you you know you have to spend some time with a wife and kids sometime. You can't watch it all. So uh, I, I got a feeling um, the RSM Classic just has too many other things going on uh, for them to do well on, on TV. The fall wraparound schedule does give some young guys a chance to play for big bucks and get a jump on next season, but the problem is no one's watching, Carlos. I, I keep telling you. I keep telling you. If, if it wasn't because we have to report on it, I wouldn't be watching it. Really. We should be resting. <laughs> watching the race the CME Globe. It's much better. <laughs> of course. Of course. Come on, PGA Tour. Dang. <laughs> Got at least time for the rest. But anyway, as long as these sponsors are yeah. going to pony up the money, though, Carlos, you know they're going to have tournaments. And you know, I well, mean, it is a good deal but, for but the young you guys. Know, you, you know, the problem is you can have the sponsors, but they're going to say, "Hey, but I'm not getting the views I want." They're going yeah, to they're going to have to. They're going to have to lower those purses. I mean, they're going to have to be down like a three million dollar purse. They're not going to get these guys to pay the big bucks if nobody's watching on TV. Uh, they're not going they to pay these six million dollar purses. It, it ain't going to happen. They have to return to just a fall schedule or make it a qualifier or whatever minor leagues. I don't know. But we want to change it, man, because it's not, it's not, it's not happening. It's not working anywhere. But well, like you say, as long as they they put the money in, they're going to keep putting it. So hey. But let me tell you, there was a very interesting tournament as well. Down under. Like you started mentioning at the beginning of the show, at the end of 2014, 
Jordan Spieth, he traveled to Australia to play in the Australian Open. It was a curious move for the one-time PGA Tour winner that turned out to be a launching pad for one of the great seasons in American golf history in 2015. You might remember, Spieth won down under and then they ended up winning the 2015 Masters in the U.S. Open and almost won the Open and the PGA Championship. Now, we might have a repeat on our hands because Spieth took the 2016 Australian Open in a playoff over Cameron Smith and Ash Hall. Spieth shot a 3-under 69 on Sunday to get into the playoff before making birdie on the first playoff hole for the win. His scores for the week were 69, 70, 68, and 69. His consistency shined on a week when low numbers were available. In the final round, it was a birdie on number 16, a long one, that got him hunting at 12-under. Spieth played in the penultimate group, and third-round leader Jeff Ogilvy faltered late with a double bogey at the same 16th that Spieth birdied. Ten par saves at number 17 and 18 propelled Spieth into the playoff. It was vintage Spieth. If a 23-year-old can do something vintage, right? He can do it. That was him. It was not pretty, but it was effective. And he held a trophy at the end of the day. We're used to seeing Spieth save himself with his slapstick <clears throat> on Sunday. On Sunday, that's what he did by securing the trophy with a decent-sized 30 putt on the first playoff hole. Speed was straightforward and cold-blooded in that playoff. Drive, item, 15 feet, and boom, it's over. That's him. He ended the festivities with the efficiency of someone who has done this many times before. Oh, I'm sorry. He, he has done it. <laughs> I'm sorry, he has. But anyway, Jordan Speed, he won the Australian Open for the second time in three years on Sunday, but did so with a new set of irons in the back this time around. You know, let me tell you, he put a set of Titleist 716 AP2s in play this week in Australia, a switch from the 714 version of the irons he's been playing for quite some time. Uh, this isn't the first time Speed has switched to a newer model of irons. However, as he played the 2015 Barclays with the 716s but missed the cut, and switch back to the older model the very next week. But difference, this is 716 AP2, not the 716 only. So we'll see. And speaking of 2015, Spieth used his win at the 2014 Australian Open as a springboard, like I said, for one of the best seasons in the history of golf. Is he primed to do the same in 2017? We'll have to wait and see, but all indications point to this new set of irons staying in the back for the moment. Ah, next year should be a great one. Pete, who will be rested, finally listening to Fred when he told him you cannot travel that much. You cannot please everyone. So he remains formidable despite reports to the contrary. Roy McIlroy is at the top of his game once again. Jason Day is still number one in the world. Dustin Johnson is coming off his best season so if 2016 was just an appetizer for what we're going to get from this crop of superstars, I cannot wait for what 2017 has in store. there also, Fred, that you have still have Henrik Stenson, Justin Rose, Ricky Fowler, Hideki Matsuyama around that are playing top golf as well. So, Fred, for speed at least, it could be a repeat of 2015 because he's off to a similar start. Yeah, he used that for a springboard. Uh, be curious to see how he does uh, next week. 
uh, at, in the Bahamas in Tiger's deal. Because uh, if you remember, after he won in Australia, he lapped a field at Tiger's event uh, in Florida that, that the next week. Matter of fact, it was a week after, if you remember that. And then he then he took off the next year. Hey, Carlos, you mentioned that uh, Spieth put a new set of irons in his bag this week. Uh, Lydia Coe, uh, you know, they wrapped up the season yesterday on Sunday. She didn't waste any time. She didn't hang around or, or rest. She jumped in a plane Monday morning, flew to Arizona. She's getting her, her deal with Callaway is up, and she's getting fitted for a new set of PXGs. So she's going to play, be playing some new irons next year. Hey, Carlos, there was, right. another, yeah, there was another tournament over in Japan uh, last weekend also. Brooks Kepka, you remember him. He had already won titles in Spain, Italy, Scotland, and Turkey, and now he can add Japan to his list of international wins. He had to hold off a hard-charging Yuta Akita, who posted a final round 61 on Sunday, 61, but came up short to the American Kepka. The win in the 84-man Dunlop Phoenix was Kepka's first worldwide victory since capturing the Waste Management Phoenix Open last February. Kepka began the day with a five-shot lead, but Aikida birdied ten of his ten of his first fifteen. Birdied ten of his first fifteen holes to square the proceedings. Just in case you hear that, he birdied ten of his first fifteen. Carl uh, Kepka then birdied his final two holes for a six hundred sixty-five. Left him at twenty-one under. Good thing he had a five-shot lead going in. He was one shot clear of Aikida despite his closing sixty-one. Justin Thomas was there. He ended up tied for four. Smiley Kaufman. Tied 11th. Harold Varno, the third, tied 11th also. And Emiliano Grillo, T16th, were the other notable finish in Japan last week. The win is the seventh career victory for the 26 year old Kepka, who won four times on the European Challenge Tour before earning his card on the European and PGA Tours. So, Kepka, started the week ranked number 21 in the world, moves up to number 17. And it was a solid win for the young man in Japan, Carlos. Uh, do you have any comments on Japan? Because uh, on, on Kepka, I, I got two other things I want to touch base on before we leave the uh, backspin. No, I, I just want to add that the, this weekend in Australia, I wanted to mention that there's going to be also the World Cup. And uh, just looking right. forward to seeing Adam Scott, Mike Leachman, Ricky Fowler, and Jimmy Walker, two of the pairs. Hideki Matsuyama is going to be with Rio Ishikawa. Also, Danny Lee with Ryan Fox and Russell Knox is going to be partner up with his old friend Duncan Stewart and Shane Laurie there with Glenn McDowell. Those are the featured uh, pairs, and it's going to be a great World Cup. Yeah, that's one of the things I was going to mention is 28 countries are represented. It's the 58th World Cup sponsored by ISPS Handa. It's a 72 holes over four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The first and third rounds will be four ball, and the second and fourth rounds are foursome. The total purse is $8 million, with 2.56 going to the winning team. Uh, as you mentioned, Ricky Fowler's over Jimmy Walker. They played so well in the Ryder Cups. Uh, that should be good. You've got Adam Scott playing with Leishman. Uh, Spain has a nice pairing. I like this pairing a lot. Rafa Cabrera-Bello and John Rahm. Uh, as you do, Hideki and uh, Rio Ishikawa are together. Italy has Francesco Molinari and Matteo Manassero. Ireland's got Lowry, Shane Lowry, and Graham McDowell. Uh, you got England, uh, Chris Wood, and Andy Sullivan. And also, here's another good team I like a lot. You got Nicholas Colsarts and Thomas Peters from Belgium. I like this Thomas Peters kid 
Carlos, a lot. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be airing on every evening on the Golf Channel beginning tomorrow. Remember, the, they're ahead down there. So uh begins at 8 p.m. on Wednesday on the Golf Channel. Set your DVRs accordingly. And while we're talking about Team Golf, uh, Jeff Shackelford had a note on his website today that Ewan Murray from The Guardian reported an IOC source is telling, he, telling him it would be surprising if the Olympics didn't extend golf as an Olympic sport longer than 2020, possibly adding 2024 also. Carlos, that wraps up the backspin for November 22nd, 2016. And we're going to take our first short break. When we come back, we have to fire five minutes. Don't go away. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at edraftsports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash edraftsports. Now, back to the show. Back and now it's time for the Parfine News. And Fred, you have the tee shot. And who, who are you going to talk about? You know who's going to be topping our, our. You know who's going to be topping our Par Five News for a while to come. Okay, we might have Tiger uh, here uh, in two weeks or maybe next week because you know he's going to be at his tournament and playing again. But uh, Donald Trump is the biggest news in golf right now. We've got to talk about your Donald. President-elect Donald Trump, and I, it's too bad Kieran isn't here. I, I, I just, we, I can't wait for Kieran to be on. He's going to be on the December 13th show when we do the wrap-up of the year. Uh, I wish he was here for this because I know he loves Donald. I know he's probably really excited that Donald was elected, um, and I wish he'd be here to talk to him about it because I, I, I'd like to hear his thoughts. But President-elect Donald Trump held transition meetings last week at Trump National Golf Club in Bentminster. New Jersey. He had meetings in the golf course he owns with his name on it. That's pretty nice. Trump officials did not give a reason why they were moving to the golf course from Trump Tower in Manhattan. He also has the tower named after although it probably did relieve some of the traffic styles inside the city. Plus, it was a great promotional opportunity for the course that will host the 2017 U.S. Women's Open next summer and the 2022 PGA Championship. It kind of also appeared to me to be an up yours to the uh, USGA, PGA, PGA Tour, European Tour, and the RNA, who've been looking at or have moved tournaments scheduled for Trump golf courses over the past year due to Trump's bash comments during his run for presidency. What isn't that a way to? Isn't that what better way to get even? Wouldn't you love that? I, I'm gonna, I'm the president now, guys. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm the president now, and I'm gonna go out here to the golf course with my name on that. You guys were thinking about pulling tournaments on. And, oh, by the way, you did pull your little tournament from my little golf course down there in uh, Florida. Uh, but I got another course here, and I got a couple other ones you might want to you might want to play at sometimes. So just in case, I'm, I'm just mentioning. Um, on the schedule for meetings last week at Bedminster were former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, South Carolina Governor. That was a terrible – that was terrible. I'll try not to do that again. South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley – Florida Governor Rick Scott, retired Army General Jack Keane, 
and former Cincinnati Mayor Ken Blackwell. I didn't even know Henry Kissinger was still alive. Don't you just wonder <laughs> what in the world he wanted to talk to Donald Trump about? But I didn't either. I didn't either. I, I, just, I was like, who are you talking about? I thought he was long gone, true? man. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he's still chasing the good-looking women. You know, he always likes to have the good-looking women around. Um, <laughs> you know, I wonder how many of these guys are golfers. You, you know, you could make probably a pretty good foursome out of the group. You know, South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley is responsible for leading efforts to keep the RBC heritage on Hilton Head. If you remember, Hilton Head had lost its sponsor and went it alone for one year before RBC came in to rescue the long-running event and keep it in South Carolina. Haley understands the importance of golf to a community and the economic impact, not only to a region, but to the charitable organization the tournament benefits. In other Trump news, the Wall Street Journal has called for Trump to place his businesses, which includes his many golf properties, in a blind trust so they will not be influenced by business decisions while in the White House. There's also some liability issues there if he gets sued and stuff like that, so uh, he's going to have to do it. He can also transfer ownership to his family members and refrain from discussing business around the Thanksgiving dinner table. What would the Trumps talk about around the Thanksgiving dinner table if they couldn't talk business? I, you know, that's all they do. They all work together. I, you know, I can't imagine. Oh, how was your day today, uh, Ivanka or whatever their Donald or whatever their names are? Well, Dad, you know, I, you know, my golf score is down. I, oh man, I can't imagine that. Um, Carlos, I truly believe Donald Trump did not think he had a snowball's chance in hell winning this election. Things like appointing a staff and divesting himself of his business empire have taken on a whole new meeting for him over this last week. And, you know, he is just, he's got to be covered up with what he's doing right now. We wish him all the best, of course. Uh, but I think it just, I, I got to believe he's think, going there right now going, what in the hell have I gotten myself into? <laughs> well, if, if, by the look on his face, it just says that. What the heck did I get into? That's why he's appointing Mike Pence as the CEO of the United States. Yeah, well, that's what he does. Yeah. He's going to be the chairman of the board, and Mike Pence is going to be the CEO, the president. He's going to do everything, and that's, that's how he runs things. That's how it is. Hey, we reported a couple of weeks ago that the swinging skirts would no longer be a stop on the LPGA Tour. But, hey, don't worry, don't worry. There's a couple of new events. Well, actually, it's adding by subtracting, right, of new events to take its place for the ladies next year. The LPGA Tour is expanding its fall swing through Asia-Pacific region of the world, adding the Macaysen New Zealand Women's Open to the 2017 schedule. The event, which has previously been scheduled on the Ladies European Tour since its second year in 2010, will be played September 28th to the October 1st next year at the Windcrest Farm Golf Course in Auckland. The event will have a $1.3 million purse and mark the first time either the LPGA or PGA Tour sanction an event in the country. So it's the first time they got first. The other event that the LPGA is adding to the schedule in 2017 is by partnering with the Ladies European Tour. The two tours announced that they will be co-sanctioning the Aberdeen Asset Management Ladies Scottish Open in 2017. The move will now give the LPGA players access to back-to-back -back weeks in Scotland next season with the latest Scottish Open played July 27th to 30th at Dundonald Links, followed by the Rico Women's British Open at King's March in St. Andrews the following week. Fred, 
the LPGA and Michael Warren making female golf great again, again, again with this expansion. Yeah, they lose one, but they add two, so that's a pretty good deal. And, uh, you know, they keep popping purses, and it's all good. Hey, Carlos, the uh, USGA had their annual meeting the other day, and they uh, nominated uh, Diana Murphy to a second one-year term as the USGA president. You know, the last time we saw Diana Murphy, she could not get Brittany Lang's name right on camera as she was trying to present Lang with the with a trophy for winning the U.S. Women's Open. It was really hilarious. Murphy also slurred words and stumbled through her television appearance during the trophy ceremony with Dustin Johnson at the U.S. Open in June at Oakmont. Someone needs to be in charge of monitoring her wine intake during the final round of, of each tournament. <laughs> Although... I can't understand why she might want to get a little tipsy. If I had to deal with the official rulings that the USGA rules official bots during both events last year, well, I'd want a couple cold beers myself. Murphy is the only woman currently leading one of the major golf associations in the world, was made president for a second one-year term. Next year, the reins will be handed over to president-elect, don't call me vice president, Mark Newell, a four-year executive committee member. The new office position, president-elect, replaces the role of vice president eliminated in 2016 and supports succession planning for future association leadership. Newell served as USG general counsel in 2011 through 2012 and currently chairs the USGA Rules of Golf Committee. Yep, He's the guy that was ultimately responsible for the horrible rulings at the USGA events last year. What do you expect? He's a former attorney. Speaking of the rules, he is focused on significant efforts on a multi-year rules modernization project led by the USGA and the RNA. I bet that's going to really turn out well. Plus, he will continue to provide support and leadership toward the development of a world handicap system. We all know how important USGA is to the game of golf as one of the ruling bodies in golf, as well as the owner of some of the most important golf terms. The USGA, along with the RNA, PGA, PGA Tour, the Masters, and the LPGA, must come, they must come up with a better system of rules enforcement because what they are currently doing is not working and turning people away from golf, Carl. Oh, man, you're wishful thinking, wishful thinking. We'll see. We, we wish them the best. Hey, fat news. Peter Sr., one of your favorites. He's my he's guy. I love him. I love him. I know it. But, you know, he's being hailed as one of the all-time great Australian Australian tour players after the 57-year-old's decorated golf career ended in despair. Australian golfer Peter Sr. was forced to abandon his second round at the Australian Open because of a hip injury on Friday and immediately announced his retirement after 38 years as a professional. A 57-year-old who won more than 30 titles around the world, including two Australian Opens, sustained the injury at last week's New South Wales Open and walked off the course on Friday after hitting his drive off the seventh tee. Senior, who won four times on the European Tour and was the Australian PGA Order of Merit winner four times, said that it's a tough 
pillow to swallow. He added that the last two years he has had too many injuries and that right now he can't hit a shot. That every time that he hits the ball, he gets a bolt of pain through his hip. Senior is among a rare group of champions who have won professional events in five separate decades and has the distinction of being the only man in history to win the Australian PGA Open and Masters tournaments after turning 50. Senior won a total of 34 tournaments worldwide, including 23 in Australasia, among them the Australian Open in 1989 and 2012 when he became the oldest champion in history. Despite his advancing years, Senior bows out near the top of the game in Australia. Last year, he won the Australian Masters for the fourth time, becoming the oldest player to don the gold jacket at 56. Fred, like you said, he's your guy. Popular veteran has planned to retire at the end of the year, but he hoped to complete his career with an appearance in his home state at next month's Australian PGA Championship at Royal Pines. Unfortunately, Fred, that is out of the question I say, Carlos, uh, Peter Sr. to me is one of the great all-time stories in golf. You know, from Australia, has traveled around the world playing, has been, I I mean, he's won all around the world. He's won here in the U.S. You know, he's won in Europe. Uh, You know, he's a legend in Australia. Every year when we go down there, you know, when the tour goes down there, when Focus goes down there this time of year for their three or four major tournaments, he's always on the leaderboard. And, you know, he's 57. So the last five years, he's just been amazing to me. I always, whenever I look at the Australasia uh, tour, I always have looked to see what Peter Singer is. And he's always in the top 25, always. Um, and the guy, even this year, had to go away from the uh, elongated putter, uh, doing a, was doing a good job. He's just injured. It's just, it's, it's unfortunate. But 57 years old, he's had a tremendous career. And we wish him all the best. I, I, I followed him for a long, long time. Hey, Carlos, I saw this story, uh, Golf Week, I uh, was running it, and uh, I really thought it was interesting. Uh, I found it very interesting to me. Uh, you know, we talked earlier about the larger purses and riches available on the LPGA Tour, but here's what it's like for some young women competing on the Sumatra Tour trying to make it to the big tour. With the cost of trying to compete on any professional golf tour, players are turning to some very creative ways to find the funding necessary to cover hotel, travel, food, and candy costs. Sumatra Tour player Natalie Sheary once received a donation of $3,000 via her GoFundMe account, the online crowdfunding website. Sheary only can assume she picked up the generous fan on Twitter where she has 2,000 followers and promotes her need for cash. With corporate endorsement dollars harder and harder to come by, do-it-yourself fundraising is catching on with professional golfers. Social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google+, etc., provide a ready network of potential donors. Gone are the days when players stop at asking family and members at a local golf club for help. Money these days can come from anywhere. Sherry will once again compete in the final stage of LPGA qualifying November 30th through December 4th in Daytona Beach, Florida. She's been to Q School five times and not been successful and has played six full seasons on the Sumatra Tour, which normally most of the young ladies, if they play three years on the Sumatra Tour, that's it. Um, they usually run out of money. They run out of sponsors. They run out of backers. They go find a real job. 
but she's been doing it for six years on the Sumatra tour. I mean, that is some real stick to it. And I hope she's successful. Um, Sumatra tour, which unless you win a couple of times, it just doesn't pay enough to cover costs for a full season. Many of the women on the Sumatra tour struggle to afford gasoline for long drives to tournaments. It, it can be a constant financial tightrope trying to make birdies and then finding a cheap or even free place to crash that night. An injury during the 2015 Fort Wins Invitational right over here at South Bend, Indiana, when she was leading the event and was forced to withdraw, didn't help. She tripped on a rope and injured her right wrist in the fall. Shortly after, this is like a kick in the head, Sherry learned her only sponsor, Carrier, dropped her and to top it off. She just turned 26, which meant she could no longer be carried on her parents' medical insurance. Don't worry. Obamacare takes care of you. Don't worry. The sponsorship with Carrier was worth 25000 plus a $5,000 bonus for making it through the final stage of OPJQ school. Players rely on kindness of and partners, those families, and even strangers, you know, for their money. The cost to compete on a tour like the Sumatra, if you pitch every penny, is around $45,000 a year. This was the best year ever on the Sumatra tour. More tournaments, more purses. But only the top 17 players on the Sumatra tour money list earned more than $45,000. A total of 207 women earned prize money on the tour last season. That's 190 or 91% that lost money this year on the Zamata Tour. Some young women drive to every event and stay for free in volunteers' houses at tournament stops every week. They use local caddies who sometimes pay their pro or donate their fee back at the end of the week. Sherry's 2016 expenses include $13,000 for entry fees, $400 in tour dues, $1,500 in airfare, and $1,000 in rental cars. She brought her lunchbox to the course each day put down a towel by the putty green for an on-the-job picnic. Then she was right back at it. She's the most accurate driver on the Symmetra Tour, and she finished 18th on the money list with around $44,000 this year. So she about broke even. She also notched her first victory near her home in West Hartford, Connecticut, with her dad on the bag at the W.B. Mason Championship. Unless you have a lot of money behind you, professional golf is a very tough business in which to break through Carl's. With purses bigger and the lights brighter every year on the LPGA and the PGA Tours, it will get even more difficult for some young players to make it. And, Carlos, it's just this is highlighted even that much more. I went through the numbers for Mackenzie Hughes and where he's been on the Mackenzie Tour and the Web.com, back to the Mackenzie Tour, back to Web.com, not making it. Boom, all of a sudden it happens. Boom, all of a sudden he's got a million dollars in the bank. Uh, it's just, you know, it's phenomenal stuff, and you have to really be dedicated to do it. But, man, it's tough to find the money if, if you don't have it. That's right. Hey, that's the tough life of being a golfer. It's not, it's not easy. Everybody thinks, hey, I'm going to have it easy, but it's not. And with that, we'll wrap up our Power 5 News. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll have to practice range. So don't go away. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. We'll be right back. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And we're back, and now it's time for the practice range where every week Fred and I pick a topic, and each of us take our own shots at it. This week, we're going to talk about what is going on, what in the world of Carmen Sandiego. No, no, that's a game. What in the world is happening with the American female golfers? Where are they? What's happening? Well, let me tell you one thing. I'm going to start. Only two Americans won official events this year, Lexi Thompson and Brittany Lang. This cannot make the domestic growth that Michael won once as a commissioner for the LPGA any easier. You know, I tend to agree with the opinion from Dottie Pepper that U.S. players are out-motivated, out-focused, and out-driven by their foreign counterparts, particularly those girls that come from Asia, where the competition is one thing, but winning is really all that is rewarded. The discipline that those players have, hey, the only word that I can come up, Sean Trophy, just cowers through many of the LPGA players on social media, and the number of posts of the Americans versus others really is outstanding. Okay, everyone has their best way to prepare and connect, but efficiency and focus for U.S. golfers seems to be compromised. Shangu Yang, who's a head pro at Seoul's a Sky 72 club, uh, recently said that no matter what form of competition, you're either a champion or nothing, end of quote. You know, that may seem harsh to you, but that is the stark reality that this successful mindset of the Asians are having. No participation medals, you must win. That they, this isn't the only reason for the American drought, and this certainly is not the first time there has been significantly dry spell. You might remember in 2011, Americans accounted for just four wins. 2009, there were just five and only six in 2002. Those entities that are invested right now in the growth and excellence of the game in the U.S., while each believing they were helping people fall in love and stick with the game, have diluted each other's effort by not communicating, being extremely territorial, and not really acknowledging that the rest of the world was not only catching up, it was passing us by. Finally, we're seeing some cooperation between the LPGA, the USGA, PGA of America, Augusta National, the AGAGA, and others that is driving, driving participation numbers, especially among young girls. The PGA Junior League model on the Little League Baseball is open to both boys and girls and is playing its national finals this week. You know, a total of 36,000 kids participated this year, up from 90, up from 9,000 just four years ago. So it's growing four times. Six years ago, there were 5,000 girls on the LPGA USGA Girls Golf Program. Today, there are nearly 60,000. There's certainly no guarantee this initiative will churn out champions, but at least now the conversation has begun to create an American developmental model such as those that Canada, South Korea, Australia, and others have had for many years. And, hey, just look at the world rankings and look at those countries and you will see. You know, the drive, ship, and putt 
has been a gigantic success as a partnership between the Masters, USGA, and PGA of America, and has already produced a significant champion since its formation in 2013 when Lucy Lee, a 2014 age group winner, became the 2016 Junior Girls PGA champion. But operating in silos, regardless of good intention, Fred, can only take American development so far. So, Fred, I think it's time to keep talking and doing together to make American junior golf and hopefully female professional golf rise again in a big way. Carlos, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head here. You pretty much went point by point with what, uh, with what I have. Uh, the question is the fact that only two LPGA tour events were won by American women in 2016, a problem. What's the solution? You know, what, what, what's coming up? So my answer, first of all, is no, it's definitely not a problem. Uh, young women, juniors, collegiate players, and other top amateurs and Sumatra tour players right now that are going to blossom and be dominant on tour, American young women. I'll give you just one name, Maria Stackhouse. She's waiting for this. Next year could be a breakout year. I, I look forward to the okay, but I look for her to be really good in 2018 because she'll, she'll kind of get her, her, her legs underneath her this coming year, but um, I, I think she's going to be a real star. We've seen the international players dominate the LPGA Tour for many years. Annika Sorbsan, Lorena Ochoa, just a couple of names that come to mind. So, And the Tour is stronger than it has ever been before. The Tour did hit the bottom of 23 events in 2009, but that was before Michael Wan. I talked about it earlier. Now he had 35 events this year. They're going to have 36 next year. So it, it's all good. Purses are up drastically with 15 women earning over a million dollars this year alone. That's never happened before. Endorsement opportunities are up. We just had Stacey Lewis talking about her relationship with Marathon last week on the show. PGA, Junior League, First Tee, AJGA, all these things you talked about, more young girls are playing in those every year. Somewhere in there, the next Stacey Lewis or Lucky Thompson is just waiting for her turn. The dominant American women on the LPGA Tour right now that have been good for the last seven, eight years are over 30, and they're nearing the end of their careers. Paula Kramer, Morgan Pressel, Christy Kerr, Mo Martin, for example. But for every one of those, you've got a Nellie Corda or some other young American woman that's right there on the horizon just ready to go, Carlos. Hopefully we can see more of that, but hey, I see at least there's a, a increase, big increase, and in finally uh, in participation. And even though participation doesn't translate to great champions, there's uh, a lot of a lot of development towards that. It's just that that point about the I don't know. It's just that focus that those Asian players have is so much. Uh, more bigger than, than what they have here. That's why uh, the point about being, you know, out motivated, out focused, and out driven by their foreign counterparts, I think is big because there is a lot of things about to winning and playing and playing. There's a lot of other distractions that always happens here in America, especially with the females, and you know, it's it's difficult sometimes to 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 get that focus and and get to the top level, but hey, 
hopefully, like you say, I, I know Maria Stackhouse is a great player. There's also this other girl, uh, Emma Tali, is very good. There is right. there's some right. good young players that that can come out and, and play well this next year. Hopefully, we can get some other. And hey, Lexi's not done. Lexi is just hitting her best right now. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, we can we can we can equal our counterparts in the world with that. But with that, we'll end up our practice range. We're going to take one more short break. When we come back, we have our VIG, Ron Serrett. Don't go away. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at eDraft Sports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash eDraft Sports. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And we're back, and now it's time for our VIG, very important guest of the week. His name is Ron Sierg. He's been with us before. And, Fred, what do you have for us in this interview? Yeah, I uh, saw an article that Ron Sirak put on his website, ronsirak.com, about uh, five ideas he had that could make uh, golf a little bit better and maybe offer TV make it a little more interesting for TV and, and get more viewers and, and better ratings and that kind of thing. And so, as you know, we've been talking about TV ratings and, and uh, viewers and all that kind of thing. So uh, this caught my eye, and so I sent Ron a note asking if he had a time to uh, to tape a short piece, and, and he said he did. So uh, he was kind enough to uh, – to, we, we had a little chat and uh, really enjoyed talking to him. So, yeah, go ahead and play it if you would. Let's play it. We are happy to be talking with Ron Sirak, the longtime Golf Digest senior writer, plus executive editor of Golf World, who received the PGA of America's Lifetime Achievement Award in journalism last year. He's been a frequent contributor to Golf Channel since its inception in 1995, as well as an occasional guest on ESPN TV and radio. Ron has been covering the PGA Tour, LPGA, and every other golf happening for a long time, and we're happy to have him chat with us today. Hi, Ron. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for having me on. My pleasure to be with you. Ron, you recently posted a piece to your blog, ronsirak.com, entitled Five Ideas to Make Golf More Interesting. Um, what made you write about that? What, uh, what were you thinking when you uh, started putting that together? Well, when I saw that the Zurich tournament on the PGA going to change its format to sort of be a uh, – uh, a two-man event, it got me thinking about other things, other format changes that could be made to bring more attention to golf. And uh, because the PGA Tour and the PGA of America both have established in the last couple of years strategic relationships with the LPGA, there's a lot of doors open there. Uh, you know, you look at golf week in and week out, we have 72 holes of stroke play probably eight or ten times a week around the world somewhere. And, and the idea of bringing in something different for the fans to see is something that yeah, I know TV executives that I talk to, they'd love to have something different out there than just 72 holes of stroke play every week. Yeah, some of these other international competitions have popped up, you know, have the four ball, they have the foursome. 
but they don't have the viewers. They don't have the eyeballs that the PGA Tour or the LPGA Tour has around the world. So, you know, yeah, yeah, there's different format, but they don't get seen as well. So what you're saying is maybe bring like a two-man game, like Zurich Classic announced, as you mentioned, they're going to go to a two-man format and have foursome and four-ball competitions uh, next year. I, you know, I think the two-man especially has, has a, a lot of audience for it. I, you know, when they play that in the Ryder Cup and President's Cup, I mean, that is a lot of fun. When you're trying, they have a chance to make birdie on every hole. Yeah, I think best ball match play is as exciting as it gets, you know. And, and we do see that in, in Ryder Cup, President's Cup, Solheim Cup, uh, whenever they have those. Because, you know, two-person two match play, um, you can gamble on every hole. You know, you can you go out there and you're, and you're out trying to make birdies. Um, I'd like to see an official two-person match play event uh, on both PGA and the LPGA Tour. And I'd like to see the PGA Tour and the LPGA get together and form a mixed team match play tournament. I think that also be very exciting. You know, have the teams. My idea is the men would play from the PGA Tour tees, the women would play from the LPGA tees, and, and go out there and, and, and have at it at match play. I think that's something that could be very compelling and be a huge hit with us. Yeah, the old Wendy's had something like that. They threw in the Champions Tour along with it, had three uh, three man teams, but. Uh, it did well for a while, but kind of just like a lot of other things, like the old old uh, skins game concept, just kind of ran its course, and and so we're kind of looking for something new. The key here is making them official events, you know, and and exactly. so that they they count for world ranking points, they count for um uh, for official money, and I and I think that would bring more attention to it, and you know, TV is the key here. You know, you want that TV exposure. That's what that's what elevates the uh, the attention to the game. Another thing you mentioned was the same venue, different event, uh, but you you have the LPGA and the PGA playing at the same time, but from different tees. Yeah, the closest we came to that was in 2014 when the men's and the women's U.S. Open were both on Pinehurst number two. They were on back-to-back week. Uh, my idea is, hey, let's have a regular PGA Tour event, an LPGA event at the same course, alternating threesomes going off. The men are playing against the men from the men's tees. The women are playing against the women from the women's tees, and and uh, we'd have uh, two tournaments going on at the same time. Uh, again, I think that would be something that uh, all over, and I think it's something that the fans would be all over. Your fourth point was uh, let the LPGA or have an LPGA event at Augusta National. Uh, that would be fantastic. I know the women would be all about that. But from a member's point at Augusta National, they give up so much time for the Masters. Is that really feasible for them? Well, yeah, and the problem is that golf course is closed in the middle of May to the middle of October. Um, so it would probably, you know, with the Masters controlling that the, the spring part of the year, with something that would have to happen towards the end of the uh, of the LPGA season. And my suggestion there was that it'd be a one-off event, like a Solheim Cup or or maybe the Women's PGA Championship or the Women's U.S. Open. Not something that was going to happen there uh, um, on a regular basis but a one-off just to call attention to it. Uh, you know, when people ask me what's the single biggest thing the LPGA needs to grow, I always say better TV exposure, and I always say the biggest critics I know of women's golf, both among the fans and the media, are people who don't go to their events or don't experience their tournaments. I think if you can get the women's game in front of more eyes, people will see what a great, greatly compelling product it is. Having an event like at Augusta National would get would get huge TV ratings. Everybody would be tuning in to see how the how the women handle that golf course. 
And then your final point uh, in the article was stagger final rounds. Maybe have the final round of the Champions Tour on Saturday, the final round of the PGA on Sunday, and the final round for the LPGA maybe on Monday. How do you think that would work? Uh, do you think that would really bring eyeballs to the to the final rounds? Uh, everything gets stacked up on Sunday now. Uh, some odd weeks, yeah, there's final rounds on su- Saturday or when they're in Asia, it's, uh, it's a few hours ahead. But, um, you know, do you think that would work? Well, I think golf has to quit competing with itself. You know, it, you, 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 the, so many times uh, the LPGA on Sunday gets gets hurt because they're on delayed tape because of the PGA Tour event. And uh, uh, and everybody loves to experience sports live. And, again, talking to TV executives, uh, the Golf Channel would, would love it if they could have live golf on TV seven days a week. Um, they know that that's where their ratings are, more than the reality shows, more than instruction shows. Live golf is, is what the fans want to see. Actually, the web.com.com tour is going to have a couple of events that end on Wednesdays. Um, I think that's a step in the right direction. I, I'd like to see all the professional tours, the European men's, the men's European tour, the, the PGA uh, uh, tour, um, work together on coordinating their schedules better so big tournaments don't go up against each other in different parts of the world to create more opportunities for the best players to be going head-to-head against each other. I do think I do think it would work, you know, um, to coordinate volunteers and the fans. Already, you've got Thursday and Friday in there, two two weekdays, work days that are in there. Well, if the, if the LPGA ended on on Saturday or on Monday, you'd still be working with a couple of weekdays in there. And uh, you know, I don't I don't think it'd be a problem. And again, I think it would bring more TV viewers. And I know you, like we here at Background Report, follow the LPGA very closely. And so, like this year. The uh, I think there was only three final rounds that were on network television live on Sunday afternoon. The U.S. Women's Open on Fox, uh, Marathon Classic was on CBS, and now the CME Group Championship is going to be on ABC. Um, those the first two had very good ratings. There may be some merit to this, uh, you know, to this thought. When I asked Commissioner Mike Wan. Uh, um, who's done a brilliant job of, he brought the LPGA back from when it, it bottomed out at 23 tournaments during the depth of the recession. And he's got it back to 34 now. And, and I asked him, I said, do you need more tournaments? He said, he said, that's not my priority right now. My two priorities are higher purses, more prize money for the women, and more network TV exposure on the weekend. He absolutely realizes, you know, as great of a job as Golf Channel does, on Golf Channel you're preaching to the choir. Those people are already golf fans. If you're on network TV, you're going you're gonna to find that casual viewer who's just going around the dial with their clicker and will stumble across the sport. And, uh, and as I said, once people experience it, they, they see that, wow, this is pretty entertaining. So I do think it's hugely important for uh, the, the growth of the women's game to get more exposure for those final rounds uh, on networks. You know, these kind of ideas, uh, what really intrigued me is that the, tele- the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour are really looking right now at their television contracts that are going to be coming up in the next couple of years. Uh, how do they handle those? You know, they are working together a little bit on some, on some marketing. Maybe these things have some merit, and uh, they can be used in negotiations going forward with the networks, uh, or maybe if they're going to produce their own stuff going forward. Yeah, you know, I, I think the LPGA uh, contract, TV contract expires in 2019, the PGA Tour in uh, 2021. I know that they've already started conversations with net, with networks, 
And I know, at least in the case of the PGA Tour, they're already thinking about can they create their own versions of the NFL network or the NBA network or MLB and uh, and, and produce uh, their their own stuff. Um, you know, the production has, has never really been the problem. It's been distribution. And now there are so many ways out there to be able to distribute things so that you, you can get the product out in front of eyes. Um, and let's face it, TV revenue is what drives – the reason that the PGA Tour players make about five times what the LPGA players make is their TV contract is worth five times what the LPGA con- TV contracts worth. That's, that's the important thing right there is to, to be able to generate that TV money in order to raise, to raise purses and prize money. And I think that if you, go, if you go to the networks with new ideas, novel ideas, and not just the same old product week in and week out, you're going to be kind of more receptive and more willing to lay out the money. Well, you mentioned Michael Wan, and since he, he's uh, taken control of the LPGA Tour, um, the purses have risen substantially. Uh, you've got the PGA and the KPG, KPMG joining forces to really revamp that whole PGA Championship thing, and, uh, you know, they basically almost doubled the purse in that thing. You're, you've got them playing for a $500,000 first place check this week with a million-dollar bonus. So, uh, you know, he's really increased the amount of money available for the women. I see there's a note going out that the uh, Women's Scottish is now going to be a co-sanctioned event with the uh, Ladies European Tour. So, you know, he does – they are adding more and more. I know they lost the tournament, but they added one in New Zealand as well. So uh, the LPGA Tour it looks to be pretty strong. Uh, I got one, one other question for you before I let you go today. The Olympics, of course, is one of the biggest stories of the of the year in golf. It, it was a, a huge success by by any consideration you want to you want to look at, but it was a 72 hole stroke pipe play. Would you uh, would you maybe recommend that they change that format a little bit? Yeah, I, I would have done it differently. Now, I mean, that said, first off, let me go into this by saying I do think the Olympics was a huge success, and it was better and had better finishes than than I imagined. I didn't anticipate how intensely competitive that fight for the bronze medal would be. You know, you finish, what other tournament does finishing third mean as much as it does in the Olympics? Because you finish fourth, you don't get a medal. But again, where I think that with best ball match play, we bring into the competition is, first off, you could get more players in, into it. Instead of 60 players, you could have 128, 64 teams for both the men and the women. But it would bring the national element into it. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to see, uh, you know, Stacey Lewis and Lexi Thompson going up against uh, Indy Park and uh, Se Young Kim? Or seeing uh, Adam Scott and Jason Day going up against Jordan Spieth and, uh, and Ricky Fowler? Uh, it would bring a national element into the competition that, that, I, that I think was, was, uh, was lacking. Very good stuff, Ron. Thank you so much for taking a minute to talk to us. As always, uh, we'll watch for your uh, Rocking in Golf Digest on ronsirac.com, your blog. And, again, thanks a lot, Ron. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. There you have it. That was Ron Sirac there on the VIG. And, Fred, he makes uh, some very interesting points. I don't think that uh, all are feasible, really. Uh, it looks interesting, and a lot of people like it, but uh, at the end of the day, I like the, the idea that maybe having the men and the women uh, play uh, their own tournament at the same time. But then again, it would have to be like a, like a short field because uh, how, how are you going to get all those people to, to play at the same time? I mean, you're having threesomes already and having 
a lot of time spent for 140 players. So it would have like a short field special event to do it. Uh, the thing that I see with the pairings is like, you know, they're playing for rankings every week. So how are you going to affect the rankings of those players? What is their incentive? Well, it's money because they also like the ranking. You know, it's not all about the money. And uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's There are a couple of things that look nice, but at the, when you come to think about it, then it's, there's some logistics that have to be worked around. Well, pretty much all these things that he mentioned, the L, it's more advantageous for the LPGA than it is for the PGA. They're already right. a lead dog. Um, so, And the LPGA is searching for more eyeballs, more viewers, more fans, uh, and they're trying to hook, all, hook their star onto the PGA Tour wagon, if you will. So, um, yeah, I, I think we'll see a, uh, an event with the men and the women playing in the same field. I think it would probably be like in a December kind of a thing. Uh, you'll probably have a field of about maybe maybe 25 and 25 or 40 and 40 or something like that. Uh, somebody will put the cash up for it and uh, and then they'll play. Um, I would really like to see, you know, the, the old Wendy's, you know, they had a Chavis Tour member, an LPGA Tour member, and a PGA Tour member, and that was okay. Um, I would... I would really like to see a PGA Tour member and an LPGA Tour member paired as a two-ball and uh, and playing maybe best ball um, against the rest of the field. You know, I, I think that would be very cool. Not necessarily match play, but uh, you know, play play your best score against everybody. Um, I think that'd be a lot of fun. So yeah, it's going to have to be a special event, like you say. They're, they're going to want the, the you know, it can't be when there's FedEx Cup points available someplace else because they, they want those. So, so, um, but, again, you know, those things are great to talk about, uh, whether they'll happen or not, but I think they're kind of interesting. Yep. Well, let's start wrapping up with our final thoughts. Uh, what was shaping up to be a delightful event, <coughs> event in the Philippines is no more. According to a report out of the Philippines, the Dustin Johnson and Warren McIlroy charity match, which was scheduled for November 29th, has been canceled. This is unfortunate. I was looking forward to viewing two of the biggest drivers in the world hack at it in the middle of the night from the United States. Two different opponents have fallen through for McIlroy. This was supposed to be a one-on-one matchup against Jason Bay before he decided to rest his injuries. So according to the Associated Press, the match was going to raise money for typhoon victims. So now, Michael, so now Michael Roy will likely be done for this year after the World Tour Championship that happened this past weekend. He's planning a monstrous schedule leading up to the 2017 Masters. DJ, on the other hand, will play in the Tiger Woods Hero World Challenge event in the Bahamas the first week of December before shutting it down for the year. So we'll see what happens there. Hey, Brent Snedeker, who two years ago made the tough call switching from Todd Anderson to Butch Harmon, has now split with Harmon after two years and two tour wins. Both of them said the split was amicable, and Harmon told the Golf Channel they will continue to be great friends. Snedeker started working with John Tillery, who is Kevin Kisner's coach, Kevin Kisner's coach last week, so we'll see what goes there. And finally, John Elway will try will trade in the Great Iron for the Greens when the 39th U.S. Senior Open goes to Colorado Springs in 2018. The Denver Broncos 
Boss was named honorary chairman of the tournament at the Bootmore Golf Club last Tuesday. Elway also hinted he might try to qualify for the tournament himself, but, you know, he's a 1.9 handicap golfer, which is well under the requisite of 3.4. So who knows? But to make that a reality, he'd have to improve his potting. It's really, really bad so far. But, hey, I mean, at least on the professional level. He doesn't get to play much before the NFL draft in April, but sneaks in as many rounds as he can before training camp begins in late July. Then he hits the greens now and then during September and October. So Fred, although he doesn't really have the chance to work on his game anymore, it's great to see that one of the NFL greats appreciates the game's difficulties. Yeah, um, Colorado Springs, the Broadmoor. Love that place, Carlos. Absolutely love it. Beautiful place. Um, the field for the PNC Father-Son event that takes place uh, every year in December uh, has been announced. Stuart Saint, John Daly, David Duvall, Steve Elkington, Nick Faldo, Raymond Floyd, Fred Funk, Retief Goose and Hale Irwin, Lee Jansen, Bernard Lawner, Sandy Lyle, Larry Jensen, Nelson, and Jack Nicholas will all be playing with one of their siblings. They're all sons, except in the case of Bernhard Lawner, who we'll have Christina as his partner. So um, you can watch for that. It'll be another weekend. I think it's the same week as uh, Tiger's deal next, next uh, the following week. Um, Ron Green Jr. says in Global Golf Post that Jim Furyk is the favorite to be named the U.S. captain for the 2018 Ryder Cup to be held in France. Uh, in a piece in Monday's Global Golf Post, he said that uh, Furyk will not run or not politic, but that he would be happy to be the captain. Uh, Jim Bones Mackay, who caddies for Phil Mickelson and has since Phil came on the tour in 1990, had to have a double knee replacement, surgery replaced both knees, on October 19th. Um, so we hope Bones is doing well from that. He's had a lot of pain uh, for years, uh, and that's not really one good for somebody that's going to walk up and down hills carrying a, a 25- or 30-pound golf bag every day. Um, doctors told him it was even worse once they got in there than they thought it was, but that uh, he should be fine once he recovers. Um, <laughs> I saw this. Uh, this is a hoax, but I, I thought this was really funny, so I got to talk about it. Um, the uh, the website read the Trump presidential challenge of 2017. 21 days, 12 rounds of golf, 20 nights, a tour of the White House, and drinks with the president, all for sixteen thousand uh, dollars. It went on to say, join us at this unique world class event. Play all 12 Trump national and international championship courses. Um, you know, uh, it was going to be a great deal. Uh, it was a hoax, though, however. If you want to see it, you can uh, visit the website uh, enjoythehit.com. Uh, somebody's, uh, somebody's idea gone crazy there. And then finally, Carlos, I don't know if you saw it or not. I'm pretty sure you did. Uh, everybody, I think, has seen it. It was, it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Uh, Rory McIlroy sat down with uh, Billy, 
uh, who is a, a young man who does these uh, video interviews on the European tour. Um, and Billy is just a kid. I, what is he, about 12 years old maybe? Uh, but he doesn't pull any punches. He sets Rory up perfectly and then, bam, asks him a difficult question. He just I mean, the whole thing was just perfect. Uh, it's all over Facebook. Uh, but if you haven't seen it, you can go to YouTube, search Rory McIlroy Little Interview Dubai European Tour. Um, in one question, young Billy asked, uh, we know your favorite men's tennis player is Andy Sullivan, but who is your favorite female tennis player? <laughs> that was just, Rory could not answer. Uh, he, of course, was taking a shot at Rory's former engagement to tennis star Caroline Wozniacki. Um, he, Rory just ended up, he hung his head. He just passed on. He couldn't even answer anything. So to end the interview, for Rory's impending wedding to Erica Stoll, Billy gave Rory a wedding present. So he opened it and opened the box up, and it was socks. And Rory was a bit confused. He, he, didn't, he didn't understand what, what was the deal with the socks. Billy had to explain to him, well, just in case you get cold feet again and call off the wedding. It was just hilarious, man. The whole thing was great. Really loved it. Uh, well worth the effort to go find if you haven't seen it. Go go do that. Um, so, Carlos, want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I know you're doing uh, – you need a medal for tonight because I know you're not feeling well. you got a cold. We're right down here to our last minute. So I'm going to wish you a happy Thanksgiving, everyone a happy Thanksgiving, and I hope you get to feel a lot better. Thank you. Uh, you don't know how what I have come through. <laughs> but hey, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, to your family. Have a great weekend, and to everybody out there. Thank you for listening to us. This wraps up another week of the Backman Report, presented by Edraft.com. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to our VIG, very important guest of the week, Ron Sirak. And also to Mike May for his interviews to Lydia Cross on your new. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Blocked Up Radio. Or if you missed it, check it out on iTunes or TuneIn. And if you haven't done so, follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Back My name is Carlos Torres. Along with Fred Alzader, we wish you to be happy, be blessed, and hey, enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing and happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Go Bucks! <laughs>